You are listening to the sermon series, Follow. In this sermon, Pastor Dan Chung examines the gospel according to Luke, the identity of Jesus, and the cost of discipleship. The following is a presentation of LifeLight Church in San Francisco. For more information and other audio content, please visit LifeLightChurch.org. We're going to be talking about largely two things in our text today, and that one is resurrection. Today we hit the part in Luke, which is our second to last um, part of the study of the Gospel of Luke. We have been going for a long time. And uh, this today is in very short 12 verses is the story of resurrection. So we'll cover resurrection a little bit, but not a whole lot. And second part of the story today in our text is uh, it's what's known as the road to a mouse. Uh, which is two people walking and they're sharing, they're talking, and Jesus joins in. And it's a, it's a well-known story. Sometimes it's used as like inviting couple for for you know faith or you know walk with Jesus and all of that. It's mainly used poorly, <laughs> um, but we're going to study that. And what that is is Luke is actually giving a great you know Luke is a great writer. We from Luke we hear stories of how he sh- shared with us the story which Jesus shared, like story of parables and different stories. And this is one of his masterpieces. What he does in this story is he kind of puts together all of his gospel, what it's all about. And he says, how does someone come to faith? What is it like? What's a model of somebody coming to faith like? And he's also referring to his community, the first uh, Christian, first generation Christian community. How does somebody come to faith? And uh, it's, a, it's a model that he presents, and it's really, really interesting um, to read about. So, let me pray, and we'll dive in, uh, starting with reading the text. Jesus, we thank you um, that you bring us here, and uh, help us realize this hour is more precious than we realized, and help our hearts to ache for those who are not joining us, or joining our family across the globe, coming together and talking about you, hearing about you, and confessing to you, and professing to you, and coming near to you. And that's exactly what we pray for at this hour. We pray that by reading of your word and thinking of you and learning about you would draw us closer to you. Not so much in that we need to come to you, but realizing your presence in here with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, let's go ahead and read. This is uh, Luke chapter 24, verse 1 to 35. I'll read one verse and you read the next. I'm so excited we're coming to close up. Well, not excited, but finally, we're coming to an end. Verse 1. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. By the way, these are women that we saw uh, at the end of chapter 23. But when they went in, they did not find the body. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. But the man said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is not here, but has risen. That the Son of Man must be handed over to sinners and be crucified, and on the third day rise again. And returning from tomb, they told all this to the eleven and to all the rest. 
Quite finished right. They are the woman who told this to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. Verse thirteen. Now on the on that same day two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them. And he said to them, What are you discussing with each other while you were working? Uh, walking. Walk, while, while you walk along, they stood still, looking sad. He asked them, What things? They replied, "The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed and word before, mighty indeed and word before God and all the people." But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. And when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Isn't it interesting? You're actually reading about what you just read, people talking about what you just read. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all scriptures. But they urged him strongly saying, stay with us because it, it is almost evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. That same hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and found the eleven and their companions gathered together. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. Word of the Lord. Isn't that an amazing story? How many of you uh, read it or heard about this story? I don't know if this was ever a, a talking um, Young Life talk. But let's go ahead and cover. I said we're going to talk about two things. First, resurrection. And we're, uh, we'll talk about the story. So, it's a, it's a familiar story for all of us, right? Woman goes there, you know, they have the spices ready to, uh, because they couldn't do it two days before because they were nearing the Sabbath and you're not supposed to be working on Sabbath. They couldn't do it. So, early in the morning, as soon as they were done with Sabbath, as soon as they could, they go to the tomb. So, they go to the tomb, they see the stone rolled away. It's an empty tomb and they meet the angel who tells them in the verse 5, Why do you look for the living among dead? 
He is not here. He has risen, but has risen. Some of you know I visited Israel. I went to Jerusalem, and uh, there is Church of Resurrection. What is it called? What is it called? Church of. There's a fancy word for it. Uh, there's that, and I didn't believe that that's the place. But there's another place that people claim that this is where Jesus' tomb was, and I went there, and uh, and it really I was convinced. Oh, this might be. Uh, but you walk in there and people, you ask the people who are there, like, are you sure this is the tomb of Jesus? And they say, no, we don't know, but it could be something like this. Uh, so you can experience what it might have been like, right? Which is interesting because people actually come to see the tomb as if they're looking for Jesus, right? We want to see Jesus' tomb as if they're looking for Jesus. But you go to the tomb site and there is a stone and there's a door. Um, and you actually have to look down, stoop down to walk down to go inside the tomb. And I saw the lay place, it's laid and everything. And there's a door. And it says on the big sign in the front of the tomb, it says, He's not here <laughs> for his reason. And it almost takes you back because you're there wanting to experience Jesus and see Jesus. And you realize, well, he's not in the tomb for his reason. And exactly what's uh, been said by the angels to the woman. And that's one thing we tend to forget, especially people who are traveling. Jesus is not in the tomb. He's risen. And that's why you can't find the tomb of Jesus. No one really cared about the tomb of Jesus. Why would you care about a tomb that he's no longer there? So his tomb was never shrined. No one really cared to track down his tomb because it's not important because he's risen. Um, the angel also says, remember he told you. And which we know that Jesus told his disciples, his followers, many times, right? Many times about what will happen. He told them over and over, I'll be suffering and then I'll rise again from the dead. He told them over and over. But what happened? They never believed. Did they believe? No one believed. Even the woman, people who are closest to him, the disciples and the woman, everyone just acted like that was never said. They all they were all sad. They all went to the tomb expecting to find the tomb, expecting to find the dead body. No one believed. When you think about it, no one really could. Because the whole concept of resurrection, and not just resurrection after death, and in some different form, just resurrecting a body, a body itself, was unheard of, unthinkable. It was just out of ordinary. It's so unusual. It's like, even like for us, that they wouldn't think that, okay, he said it, but what did it mean? I don't get it, but it's probably not real, it's not truth, there's something different about it. They never believed. They never could. And when you think about resurrection, the resurrection here is different than what we think. So we need to clearly understand what resurrection is to Jesus. It's not reviving of, of the body. It's not like, you know, uh, the people that came alive by Jesus, right? They came alive like um, Lazarus, right? Lazarus. What happened to them? After a few years, they died again, right? It's, it's, in a way, it's terrible, right? You become alive again from dead and you got to die again. They experienced death twice. So that's not what resurrection is. Jesus didn't become, you know, rise from the dead to die again. He was alive. Um, so it's not dying again. It's not reincarnating. It's not Jesus was in spirit. The resurrection here, the resurrection that the Bible talks about, is not our spirit being separate. That's what we kind of know and believe and think about because a lot of other religions talk about 
reincarnation and rising again from the dead, afterlife is more like a spirit. We're kind of hovering, we don't really have a form, we can go through the walls because we're like a spirit, we're like a ghost. But that's not what it's talking about. Resurrection is resurrecting of the body, the same body rising in perfect form but different. So it's not reincarnating, it's not obviously not annihilating, it's not that we die and we disappear, which is really, which really makes life pointless. So resurrection by definition is actually life after death. There is something after death. We have to go through death, but there is something afterwards. And what we see is what Jesus is showing, that this is what it's going to be when you're in our resurrected body. And we read in the, uh, the Paul, Paul says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. It's not that we die and we're hovering the earth as a ghost, as some kind of spirit form. When we die, when we leave this body, who are we with? With the Lord. And when there's resurrection of everyone, we receive this body again. We become in the form of what Jesus was in this story. So, resurrection. It's important that we understand resurrection clearly and how difficult it was for them to believe, how this is unique about Christianity. So, one of my favorite, um, the scholar is N.T. Wright. He's written really great uh, biblical commentaries and stories. Uh, His quote is this. He says, Christianity was born into a world where its central claim, our central claim, the resurrection of Jesus, was known to be false. No one believed in the resurrection when Christianity came. Uh, many believed that the dead were non-existent, and outside Judaism, no one believed in resurrection. So, we need to also understand, we didn't take the idea of resurrection from another religion. It happened it happened and we held on to it. The first Christians held on to this belief. It was central to our faith when no one else believed. No one else even thought of it. No one else even thought that this is possible. It's unique to Christianity. Right? And you think about Greek mythology. What does Greek mythology believe in? Your body decays. Your body just disappears. Body is evil. It's poor. It's weak. We don't like this body. But when we die, our body will gone separated and our spirit is what Greeks believe in, a lot of other reincarnation, all of that believe. We believe in resurrection, then our body will become alive again, like Jesus was. So, story of resurrection, basically the central theme here is Jesus is alive, right? Jesus is alive, and that's unique about Christianity. We're not religion that follows ideology like Hinduism or Confucianism. We're people who follow what? Or who? Jesus. A person. A person of Jesus. Right? We follow people. A person. And this person we follow, that we take as a central figure of what we believe, is alive. And when you look at other religions, Buddhism, who's central figure in Buddhism? Buddha. Buddha. Who's central figure in Islam? Muhammad. Muhammad, and also they also believe in. Abraham was their father figure. Who's the central... Central figure, in, is that it? <laughs> is there another religion that has that central figure, that's main religion? So you think, you look at these people, these religions. Where is Abraham? Dead. Dead. Right, into, where is Muhammad? Dead. Where is Buddha? Dead. There's actually these sites that people visit as, you know, their um, pilgrimage. Like Muslims visit the tomb of Muhammad, right? 
Buddhist visit tomb of Buddha. These are shrined tombs because they believe their person that's central to their faith is there. We don't visit what people do in Jerusalem, but we don't visit tomb to see Jesus in the tomb. Our tomb is empty because we believe in living God. There is no other religion that believes in living God aside from all the crazy cults that, of someone who claims to be God. It's just us. That's what's unique about Christianity. We believe in God who is alive. We're people of living God. <clears throat> and so that's why the resurrection is significant. It's central to our faith. Resurrection is what makes all the difference. And, you know, when we come to Easter, and I've done this over and over, how we can believe, how, what's the proof of resurrection of Jesus? And I've gone through that before, and I'll go, go through it when we come to Easter, all the proofs and historical proofs and um, you know, circumstantial proofs and all of that. I've gone through it, and I'll go through it again when Easter. I won't do it today. But it's significant. So significant, it changed the people who are faithful uh, followers of Judaism. They changed the whole thing. They said, we're not meeting in Sabbath. We're not following Sabbath. We're just going to meet on the Lord's Day, on the date that Jesus resurrected. That's Sunday. And they called it the Lord's Day because it's the day that Lord's, we saw Lord's alive, came from the dead. Changes the whole thing, whole concept. Right? That's why it's central to, to our faith. And another belief that we come from this, and because this Jesus was the first to be resurrected, we also believe that we'll all be resurrected. We'll all be resurrected. And the question for us is, do we believe that? Can you believe it? And it is also thought, as the disciples received the understand the, the speaking of resurrection by Jesus, for us to receive and accept that thought of us resurrecting, it's really it doesn't compute. It doesn't work. But can you believe it? How can you believe it? How can you believe that what Bible tells us is true? What, how can we believe that resurrection, which is a concept that is too far, too much for us to embrace, how can we believe it? So Luke goes on to tell a story that explains how we can come to believe what it says. So that's the story to the uh, story of the rotten mouse. So we look at that story. That's starting from verse 13. So two, po two people who are part of Jesus' group, who obviously were there when the woman came back and when Simon ran off. Don't you love Peter? He just takes off. But he's kind of fat and chubby and old. So John actually beats him and goes faster because he's young and skinny. Um, that's story in John. Uh, woman came back. They're telling, right? So these two people actually belong to that group. And we think that one of them, Cleopas, is relative of Jesus. They're family members. They're really close. There's two people who are very close to the disciples and were close to Jesus. So they're making a journey to go to uh, this place called Emmaus. So here, I want to kind of hear what Luke is doing, comparing this story to, compare it to our life and compare this walk along as our journey of faith. Like journey of life. In our journey in life, what is it like? So these two people, they know about Jesus. They're close to Jesus. They talk about Jesus. So verse 15, it says, While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them. Jesus comes to them, right? In our journey of life, Jesus comes to us. Jesus came to you. 
Jesus came to you and walked with you. But, verse 16, their eyes were closed, kept from recognizing. It's kind of like us, right? In our journey of life, we walk along, Jesus comes uh, to us, next to us, walk along with us, but we're blind. We can't see Jesus. We don't realize it's Jesus walking with us, who is near us. Jesus meets them, but they don't see him, because they are blind. And that's what it is. People, it's not that they don't so much believe, but at the, you know, they don't see God. It's, that's why the really the best way to compare faith is it's a blindness. They don't see it. So we can't really get angry at them and be frustrated. They're blinds. You know, you don't yell at blinds like, can't you see? Don't you see this? They obviously can't. They're blinds. You know? Um, so you think about handicapped, not parking on regular. <laughs> Your thing, right? Um, you know, maybe they were blind. Maybe he was blind. <laughs> you can't blame blind for, for being blind. That's what people without faith is. They're blind. They cannot see. Yes, I read your tweets. Did he name me? Did he name me? <laughs> I'm sure I told you not to. Yeah. So, the blindness. They can't see God. That's what people without faith is. So, only who can let them see? God. Jesus can only help them see, gain their sights. So Jesus comes along, he pretends, and this is what's really interesting and funny about this story. Jesus comes along, he asks questions like, oh, so what are you guys talking about? I heard you guys talking, I followed, you know, in the back, and you know, so what are you talking about? And they, you know, stood still, they're like walking, and they're sad, they're looking at him like, what? And here's what they say, like, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem and who does not know the things that have taken place in the last these days? It's like, like, are you like, are you crazy? You know, have you been living under a rock? Like Jesus would be like, no, actually, I've been living in the inside the rock. Um, they're like, you don't know what had happened. This is crazy. Why? How can you not know? You have got to be the only person in all of Jerusalem not know what had happened place, what had taken place. So verse nineteen, Jesus goes, oh, well, what things? Which is really, he's playing along, which is interesting, which is funny. And they replied, the things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God, and how chief priests handed him over and he was crucified, right? And here's the thing about that, what makes all this really sad for them. They said in verse 21, but we had hoped, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. They had hoped, they had hope. Just like us, just like people, normal people. We hope for things in our lives that make it better, that makes our life meaningful, that makes it beautiful to be to redeem our lives, to rescue us from suffering. They had hoped that he'll be the one to rescue them, that he'll be the one to redeem Israel, just as we hope. And just as we feel, they feel that it's too late. That's what they mean. They say, but and besides, it's been three days. It's too late. It's done. It's the end of the story. There's nothing to go on about this hope. The hope is gone. Is what they're saying. Just like sometimes we feel like, oh, what's there for me? It's like there's no more hope. There's nothing left. And they talk about then. You know, our woman went, and this woman came back with this crazy story. 
we don't really believe it, we couldn't believe it, so, you know, these are women, that's what they're saying, because this is the culture, so, woman came and told this crazy story, so, we had to figure out whether this is true or not, so we send our men, because men will tell a story with facts and, you know, everything, so we send our men, and men came back and told the same story, right, um, so what this means is, there was evidence, they've heard enough, they've heard enough, but they don't believe it. They don't believe it. You know, and it's the same for a lot of people. Many people hears about Jesus. They heard enough. They've seen enough. They experienced enough. Oh, there is God. I sense it. But they don't believe it. So Jesus said to them in verse 25, Oh, how foolish you are. And how slow of heart to believe. And when you think about it, it's simply foolishness. It's foolishness. Jesus has come near you, but you don't see him. You've heard and you experienced, but you don't believe it. And you are slow in heart to believe. Do you know someone like that? Are you one like that? Are you slow to believe? I'm going to wait for to hear a little more. I'm going to wait till later before I start believing. Mm, I need to see more facts. Jesus said, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe. God has come near you and you know enough about you. When will you believe is what Jesus is saying. When are you going to believe this thing? And verse 26, so Jesus goes on. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Basically what Jesus is saying here is, didn't you learn this in your synagogue teaching in Sunday school? Haven't you learned about this? You should know this, Jesus is saying. You should know this is what's supposed to take place. But you don't believe the Bible that you read. You don't believe the Bible. Then Jesus basically gives them, as they walk seven miles, a Bible study. In verse 27, it says, Then beginning with the Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all scriptures. Jesus is having a Bible study with these two. It's the best Bible study ever. It's the perfect Bible study you ever want to be in, right? And he's going through basically the beginning. When he said prophet, Moses to prophet, all of the Old Testament. All of the Old Testament, he went through from the very beginning. Right? He explained how he fits where he is in that. So it's like, Jesus, let me tell you from the very beginning, from the creation, there's me. And you walk in, there's Moses. Oh, and there's me. Look. Hey, that's about me. Look, that's me right there. And that's, they're talking about me. And there's me. And there's me. Basically, he's pointing out all the stuff in the Old Testament saying, that's me, that's me, that's me, that's me. You know what? In the end, all of this is about me. Haven't you learned? Haven't you heard? Bible is all about me. All about Jesus. And we believe this, right? We as a community, as Church of the Nazarene, we believe this. You know, religion, Christianity can be a lot of things and uh, we read a lot of stuff in the Bible. There's stuff about morality, and there's about history. There's uh, actions, and there's you know heroes, and there's you know miracles and traditions and all of that. But essentially, Bible is about who? It's about Jesus. Old Testament and New Testament. That's why we study both, and we've gone through this Joshua, Genesis, you know uh, Exodus. What do we point out at the end of Bible study? We always comes back. And, look, this story is about Jesus. Because Jesus is going to do this. 
right? It's all about Jesus. Bible is about Jesus. There are a lot of heroes and stuff, but it's mainly about Jesus, the tree and God. It's not about us. It's for us, but it's about Jesus. That's what the Bible is about. So, how, does, how do we realize this? So, I'm going to give you four points on how do we find Jesus in the Old Testament. You can get a book like Hannah has, which is perfect in recognizing Jesus in the Old Testament. So, there are four things, and I wrote it in your sermon guide here. How do we find Jesus in the Old Testament? First, number one, you find events. And most of you know this if you've gone along with the Bible study uh, for many years. Events. Things like Passover. We've gone through it in the study of Exodus. Passover is about who? Jesus. Jesus. It's about things to come. How Jesus is going to be the Passover lamb. Right? He's going to be the rescuer. And there's events like uh, the Day of Atonement. You're going to hear that in Jewish, Jewish tradition. They just call it the day. Oh, it's the day. And what do they do? They offer sacrificial animals. And they offer lamb. And there's a goat which they send away. Which we get the word escape goat. It's all of the part of that. Lamb takes the sin of people. And escape is sent away. Right? Takes the guilt and shame. And it's the day that they celebrate. And who is Jesus here? He's the lamb. He's the one who takes on the sin of everyone. So when you read this events and Passover and these different events, we see that, oh, this is all talking about who? Jesus. Number two, throughout the Bible, almost 25% of the Bible is prophetic in its nature. It's about prophecy, especially Old Testament, right? Old Testament prophecies and different titles that we hear within these prophecies is all about Jesus, Right? Like in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 40 to 66 talks about this suffering servant. And that's where we get a lot of the prophecies about Jesus. Who's suffering servant? Who became, who was the suffering servant? Jesus. He said, I came to not rule, but to serve. Right? It talks about Jesus. And the titles that goes along with it, like Alpha and Omega. Who's Alpha and Omega? Jesus. Right? Son of Man. Which is, you know, mostly before Jesus used this title to refer to himself, is in the prophecy from Daniel chapter 7. He said, I'm the Son of Man. And basically, the Jewish people received that as Jesus just said he's God. Because that's who God was prophesied. God said, I'm coming. Son of Man is coming. That's God himself coming. Jesus said, I'm Son of Man. Right? The titles. Titles like, you know, Josh talks a lot about it when we're studying Exodus. I am. Right? In John chapter 8, verse 58, he's in the bunch of crowd and Jesus declares, before Abraham was, what did he say? I am. He said, I'm God. He takes those titles to himself, right? Um, all the prophecies about, you know, Eve and how God prophesied or promised Eve, there will become a descendant from you and he will crush the head of what? The serpent. Right? Serpent will bite his heel. He'll be hurt. He, surfs, he, he will suffer. But eventually, he would crush the serpent, the Satan. And that's what Jesus did through death and resurrection. Right? Story of Eve. And you go on. The, you know, Abraham, the promise and covenant with Abraham is about Jesus. The Bethlehem, how someone will come from, the Savior will come from Bethlehem. Prophecy, Jesus. You know, John the Baptist. There's someone who come to announce the coming of the Savior, John the Baptist, 
about Jesus, all of these events, all the prophecies and titles, um, Isaiah um, chapter 35, verse 5 and 6, we went through this when we were studying the Luke, it basically tells what Savior will do. Here's, Savior will come and this is what he's going to do. And Isaiah, it says, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped, then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the speechless sing for joy. And Jesus said, look, I'm here, what do you see? Deaf can see, you know, deaf can hear, um, blind can see, the lames are walking, and they're singing, what do you see? This is what's prophesied about me, all of the Old Testament is about me, this is what you see. There's a prophecy about betrayal in Zechariah with exactly 30 coins of silver being thrown in the temple, um, prophecies in Psalm. A thousand years before Jesus came, Psalm 22, 16, it says, My enemies surround me like a pack of dogs, and evil gang closes in on me. They have pierced my hands and feet. A thousand years. 400 years before crucifixion was even invented, there is prophecy about Jesus on the cross. And there's prophecy about Jesus hanging on the cross with the thieves, dying, there's prophecy about Jesus burying in the rich man's tomb, and there's prophecy about Jesus resurrecting. All of the prophecies in the Old Testament is about who? Jesus. And in Hannah's little book, it'll say, yes, but the great, perfect rescuer is coming. And it talks about it. Rescuer is coming. And Hannah says, oh, Jesus. I know that's Jesus. Number three. Jesus incognito. You see Jesus all over Old Testament. He's there. Like the burning bush, that's Jesus, right? Um, Jacob wrestles with God. Who's that? Jesus, right? Um, there's a, a, someone, a, a God, you know, the angel of God came and there's one person. Who's that? Jesus. There's a story of Daniel's friend, Daniel's friend, uh, the three boys, and they uh, are sent into fire. Right? And they're in the fire, three of them, but they see another guy. They say, oh, the people saw four people in the fire. And who's that? Jesus. Jesus right? It, you look at in the Old Testament, you see Jesus. He's hanging out with people. He's with prophets. That's Jesus. Number four, lastly, the titles, the, his offices and people, how he's greater. We hear all about the prophets. Jesus is the greater and perfect prophet. We hear about priests. Jesus is the perfect priest. What is the job of priests? Brings people and God together. Connects God and people. What has Jesus done? He brought us to God. He's the perfect and last priest. He's the perfect greater king. Right? He's the greater judge. And the stories of heroes we find in the Bible all of them is about Jesus. And that's what's great about this book, Hannah's book. You hear there's a story about like Abel, Cain and Abel. And Abel was the innocent one who died at the hand of evil one. Who's greater Abel? Jesus, right? There's a story of Abraham, right? Abraham is going and he leaves home from the father's home and goes to strange land, right? To follow the promise of Jesus, a promise of God. Who's greater, Abraham? Say it out. Jesus. Jesus. There's a story about Isaac, right? Abraham is told by God, go kill your son. 
on the mountain. Sacrifice your son to me. So the son carries what? On his back? The wood, right? Son carries the wood all the way up and he's about to Abraham is about to sacrifice the son and God says stop. Who's better, Isaac, who actually is sacrificed, who carried the cross on his back? Jesus, right? Joseph rescued his people from and fed his people. Jesus, Moses led his people to uh, Exodus in, to rescue from the slavery. Jesus led us from slavery of sin and death. Better, greater uh, Moses is Jesus. Greater king than David is Jesus. David. Jesus is the perfect king. Jonah, we hear a story of Jonah. Basically, Jesus is greater Jonah who comes and, and leads people to salvation. Jesus is great, greater Nehemiah, the person who built, rebuilds the kingdom, the king, the Jerusalem. Jesus has promised that he'll come and bring us the perfect kingdom, the new Jerusalem. You read this through the story, Old Testament story, it's great. It said, you know, but who's coming? Even this little story of little King David killing the, the Goliath. You know what's the greatest enemy for us? It'll say, sin. You know who's going to beat the sin and be better than David? It'll say, Jesus. The rescuer's coming. The book won't say, but Hannah goes, Jesus, I know this is Jesus. And this is throughout the, all of Old Testament stories and heroes. So, what am I trying to say here? The Bible is all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's about Him. It's about for us. And that's what Jesus is doing here in our story. Let me tell you about Bible. Let me tell you. You'll find me. It's all about me. So let's go back to our story. So Jesus pretends like He's going to another direction. And they ask Him, No, it's late. Why don't you stay with us? So He joins them. Stays with them. It's with them. Which means He becomes friends. With them. Verse 30, say, they say, When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to them. He eats with them, right? Have communion, and boom, what happens? They recognize him. They recognize him in, in the breaking of the bread. That's why we do communion. That's why we do communion. We want to remember Jesus. We want to remember that there's Jesus. He's alive. He's here with us. And he says at the end of this the verse, He had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. And it's our prayer that every time we break bread together as a community, that Jesus will be made known to us in our breaking of the bread as we remember Him. And our story said, then He disappeared. I don't know how that happened. Poof, gone. Right? It's weird, but that's what happened. But listen to this. Verse 32, They said to each other, Were not our hearts burning within us, while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us. Their hearts were burning when he opened to them the scriptures. That's why we do what we do. That's why we study Bible. That's why we meet together and study Bible. Because through the studying of scripture, when we see Jesus, our hearts are burning. Because when we study, when we recognize, we start seeing Jesus. And our hearts will start burning. And it will be flaming. Our hearts burning. Because it's all about opening the scriptures and meeting Jesus. 
So here's how it works. The story of Rotem Mouse. It's journey of faith. It's journey of faith. And here's how it works. We've seen it from anxiety, from sorrow. They're sad. And that's kind of how we are. We have hopes. But we're sad. We have anxiety. We're sorrow. Life is disappointing. It's scary. We are full of fear. Then we turn to someone for hopes. Like they had turned to Jesus for hopes. Thinking that someone might help. Some things might help. And we're looking for help. And we discover in scripture, in the Bible, that help, there's no other help, no other rescuer. But the key, the truth lies in recognizing this person in the Bible who is Jesus. And we suddenly realize Jesus has been walking along with us, has been there with us. And it's always been about Jesus. So our hearts are starting to warm. And we start breaking the bread and we remember who Jesus is. We're spiritually, we're blind, but we see because God lets us. But the way we see is as we study the Bible, as we study the scriptures, and allowing God to open our eyes. Who, when we recognize Him, sets our hearts on fire. So that's what we need to do, basically. And that's what Jesus tells. And that's what Luke is sharing. You want people to come to know Jesus? Do you want to know Jesus? What do you need to do? Get together. And do what? Break bread. Break bread. But before you break bread, what did Jesus do? Eat. Before that, before eating. Are you hungry? (laughs) What did Jesus do with that on the road? A Bible study. A Bible study. That's pretty much it. You know, you want people to come to faith. Do you want to come to faith? Get together and study Bible. And that's what Luke is saying. That's how it is that it has been true for the first generation Christians. That's true today too. Get together and study Bible. Let me close. Close with this. Jesus has risen from the dead and that is his resurrection is sign of the new world new life for us as Paul says we're new creation and in the study of resurrection as a people who recognize who Jesus is who has come to faith what does that mean for you what does that mean for you and I what does it mean to live your life believing in not only the resurrection of Jesus, of your own resurrection. That what we have read, what we read in the Bible is the truth. See, I don't think that many of us, even if we have gone to church for years, or even if we know, say, I know the Bible, actually live your life believing in resurrection. Your resurrection. Your life after death. What would that change? Because we are still fearful of death. What am I going to do when I die? We're still fearful of those who who we love dying. I tell my mom, it's a horrible thing to say, and I don't encourage you to say it. I tell my mom, Mom, because she wants to see me, and I'm always busy and stuff. I tell my mom, Mom, we're hanging out for eternity when we're in the heaven. Don't say that to your mom, okay? But what if you actually believed it? I believe it. I believe I'll hang out with all of you guys. 
in heaven. And I sometimes tell this to believers, sometimes we don't need to hang out so much with each other, besides encouraging of each other. Because, you know what, we'll be together for eternity. If you really believe it, what will your life be like? What will your hope be like? What will you focus on in your life? If you really believe in what Jesus has done on the cross, and what, has, what happened in the resurrection, and what He has promised. We won't be so focused so much on like doing the right thing, you know, not sinning, and making things right, making people do right thing, and judging people. We'll be focused on how do we make this better? How do we redeem this as Jesus has done? In everything we do, make it better, make it meaningful, make it last, eternity. And that's what our life becomes all about when we actually believe in resurrected Jesus and our own resurrection. Can you clearly believe it? It's hard. It's impossible. But it's possible through learning of the scripture and allowing God to open our eyes and hearts and mind to recognize that who Jesus is and what He has done and what He has promised is the truth. What would your life be like if you believe in your resurrection? If you believe the promise of Jesus. Let me pray. And I'm going to give you a few moments to share with one another. Jesus, you have given us so much to hope for. To redeem our lives and everything. That our lives should be different. And you may not rescue us. From our suffering, that we will still suffer and there will be sadness and pain in our lives, but you will redeem us, you will rescue us through our suffering because there is a promise that we will rise again. And all of us with you will be forever eternal. God, I pray that all of us will come to grasp that in our mind and believe it and live our lives like we believe it. Help us in Jesus' name. This concludes our presentation. For more information and other audio content, please visit lifelightchurch.org.